Well, hey, good morning. All right. Listen, uh, isn't life fun when life is unexpected? Uh, it's been a lot of unexpected things uh, that have happened here in our world this year. And hey, we talked last night as a team. Uh, we made this decision last night. Typically, maybe you're even here this morning because you were ready to come and serve on Love Shelbyville Day. And we, uh, and we looked at the forecast, we looked at the weather, and we thought, we, we just need to do something different. And before the pandemic, I mean, that would have just been like all kinds of heartburn. But it was awesome because one of the things that we've learned and probably you've learned in this season is that, man, we can be flexible. We can be adaptable. We can be fluid. And so uh, we're excited to be here uh, to worship together this morning. And as Matt has said, uh, man, what an opportunity to, to be the church, to love Shelbyville and recognize that, man, we're a part of Shelbyville in this community. And uh, that's forever been the vision. Uh, not to, not to be the church that serves, but to be the church that's joining Jesus on the outside, in the mission. And sometimes that happens right here. Uh, in fact, for many of you, uh, I've recognized new faces. You're a new face here at Christ Community this morning. So let me say welcome to you. I'm Blake, uh, uh, lead pastor, one of the pastor elders here. And uh, if you're new, uh, I would encourage you to text at new2ccc, that's the number two, at new2ccc to 81010. And we'd love to learn your story, connect with you, and help you get connected to the vision and the mission of the church. Um, but this morning, as we open up God's Word, uh, we also want to ask you and encourage you to, to pull out the Bible app. If you've got the Bible app, uh, if not, you can search that real quick in your phone or it's on our Facebook page. And we've got a, a digital bulletin with our ally for this morning in our passage of Scripture. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, uh, if you've got uh, your, your physical Bible with you. Uh, which is important. And uh, while you find that, uh, I want to speak really quickly to a couple of things that are coming up in July, uh, but I'm not going to steal too much of Katie's thunder as she comes and talks a whole lot more about that. But we're excited for July to get here for several reasons. One, uh, there's going to be, uh, beginning next week, a family gathering on the other side of the wall. Katie's going to tell you more about that. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, we're going to, to be doing a special emphasis on several of our missions partners throughout the month of July. Uh, places that we would have been going to serve on mission trips, uh, we're going we're gonna to bring some of their people in, we're going to talk to them, interact with them in different ways, and uh, we're going to have a special offering during the month of July to help support them because they're being affected by the fact that we can't take trips and go and serve and be with them. Uh, so uh, we're excited about all that, and then uh, also super, super excited. Uh, this time next month, our Love Shelbyville Day in July, I think it's July 26th, if I'm remembering correctly. It's, a, it's another Love Shelbyville Day, but Centennial Baptist, Pastor Norris Beckley, their church is going to come and serve alongside of us. And then uh, their church is actually out in Christiansburg. And they're going to, instead of meeting out there afterwards, they're going to have uh, their worship time right here in our space at 11.15 after Love Shelbyville Day. And so we're so excited to, to see that representation of the kingdom happening right here uh, in our space. And so just some things we're excited about that are coming up. So let's open God's word, uh, Hebrews 4. And a, a, a quick context to it before we read it and pray. This is a big shift in uh, the book of Hebrews. We've been going through this book and it's a big shift because it begins to develop this really significant theme 
The author wants his readers to understand Jesus as the great high priest. Now, next week's passage is going to help us understand more about what that actually means. But before the author jumps into its meaning, he wants us to understand why that matters. Why does it matter that Jesus is the great high priest? Well, he's the great high priest. So what? Why should I care? What impact does that have on me? And that's what God's Word wants to talk to us about today. And I believe that the answer will completely reorient it and flip upside down the way that we relate to Jesus in our daily lives. So if you've got your, your Word, uh, if you're online with us, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Father, we thank you for your word. Christ, we thank you for being the great high priest. And Spirit, we thank you for helping us to understand your word. Would you come this morning and teach us? Would you write in our hearts the truth about who you are, who Jesus is, and how we should respond to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I read this passage, for whatever reason, one of the things that came to mind was a touch-a-car contest. You guys, are you familiar with these or have you ever heard of these? The idea is that they're giving away a free vehicle, whether it's a car or a truck or something. And uh, the winner is the one who can keep a hand uh, or two hands or in some quick Google research, uh, their lips on a vehicle the longest. Okay, and so these people will come together. There's usually a, you know, a fairly decent size and that's their only task. And typically in these uh, competitions, they allow for breaks. It may be a 10 minute break every four hours, or it may be a 15 minute break every five hours. There's all kinds of little rules and things. And when you, um, you should just, you could have some fun with this on one of these times when you're really bored at home, like just start Googling touch a car contest and there's YouTube videos and people are like, they got lawn chairs and blankets and iPads and food and like their hands. I mean, like it's crazy all the different things that people do. But it, if you begin to read about some people's emotional response to this, they begin to, to talk about how it's impossible for anybody to, to touch this car forever. Like there are just some mental barriers and some weird things about being able to hold your hand on this vehicle, like do that one simple task to hold on to the vehicle forever. And, and this picture came to mind as I read this verse because we read this in the first verse 14. It says, let us hold fast to our confession. And to hold fast, that sounds good. Like, oh yeah, we, like, I want to hold fast. I want to I stick to it. I want to I really be determined. But the truth of life, the truth of our world and, and our reality is that no one holds on forever. No one holds on to anything forever. Hoarders, extreme hoarders, even they don't hold on to anything forever. They may die, but their stuff is going away. Like, no one holds on to anything forever. And yet the author is asking us in this passage to hold fast to our confession. What does that mean? 
In this context, he's, he's challenging, he's encouraging, he's suggesting, he's really, really, really wanting his readers to hold fast to, to what they would have confessed to be true about Jesus Christ. He's wanting them to hold on to this Jesus who they would have recognized as, as God's son, as their Lord and their Savior, as the one who was fully God and fully man, who was born of a virgin and who died a sinless, sinless death on a cross, the one who rose from the grave and defeated the power of death. He's wanting them to hold fast to that confession. But no one holds on to anything forever. So how are we, how are we going to do this? What is it that causes us to let go? We let go of all kinds of things in life. We let go of relationships. We let go of stuff. We let go of emotional baggage. We let go of all... But there's also times when we're really honest with ourselves that we let go of our confession of Christ, of who he is. What does it look like to struggle to hold on to our confession of who Jesus is? Some of us may not be able to hold on to Jesus and who he is because we're uncertain or, or maybe we're just unsure about who he really is in the first place. If someone were to come over to my house this afternoon and uh, offer to work on my car because it weren't, wasn't working, and they opened up the hood and said, Blake, hold on to the fuel line while I check something underneath of it, I would be lost. I would not know what to grab onto. In fact, I'm not even sure that the sentence that I just spoke makes sense. Like, is there a fuel line and can you hold it up? I don't know. I would literally be unable to hold on to that because I, I'm unsure and uncertain about what that actually is. And for some of us, and there's no condemnation in this, we can't hold on to Jesus because we're uncertain or we're unsure of who he really is. We see posts about him on social media. We may hear people talk about him. Uh, we, we may have even grown up in church and have an idea that Jesus is supposed to be the son of the God. Uh, he's like my savior. But we're really uncertain or we're unsure of what that actually means and who he really is. It's not that we don't want to know him. It's, it's that we can't because we, we don't know who he really is. Or perhaps we've heard a lot of things, but we're just unsure. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Some of us may not be able to hold on to Jesus because it just seems to slip out of our hands. If I tasked you with, with holding a bucket of water, um, there are a lot of things that over time could cause that to, to slip out of your hands. Your arm or your hand might just get really tired or you might start to sweat and it gets too slippery to hold on to. You might get distracted by something over here, hit the bucket and, and drop it. There's all kinds of things that could cause you to let go of that bucket. And in a similar way, sometimes we struggle to hold on to Jesus because life wears us down. And we just, we don't think we can hold on to him any longer. Or sometimes uh, the busyness in life is kind of like the sweat that just, it causes it to slip away. Uh, at other times, it's the distractions of life that can cause us to, to just inadvertently leave Jesus behind as we tend to believe that other things are more urgent or, or more important. Sometimes you're in a pandemic. And your normal rhythms with Christ and the church are interrupted. And you're realizing that 
Maybe this thing that you were doing that you called church was more about the people at the church or more about being seen serving than it really was about Jesus. I'm not saying this is true, but there's a little hunch inside of me that maybe the Lord had a plan for this morning <laughs> to be reminded that we're not just the church that serves. We are Christ's church. Has he slowly slipped away from our fingers? Even then, sometimes we don't struggle to hold on to Jesus. We just intentionally let go of, of what we believe about him. Because it's a whole lot easier to, to be mad or to be angry or to pursue what we want than to hold on to Jesus. Fear, anger, and hurt, any or all these things can cause us to lay down our beliefs about him. We buy the lie that pursuing uh, what will make us happy or help us get away is, is worth it, even if we have to set Jesus to the side for a bit. That, that idea is really the idea that, man, Jesus will still be my Savior, even if I don't let him be the Lord of my life today. No one holds on forever. So how could the author challenge us to not let go of our confession about Jesus? It almost seems like an unfair request. Like we all let go. Perhaps it had everything to do with Jesus himself, the great high priest. Perhaps we can only complete this if we understand who Jesus is. And what the author wants us to understand in this passage is that Jesus will forever hold on to his sinlessness and his saints. He will forever hold on to his sinlessness and his saints. Verse 15 says this, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. We say, maybe, perhaps we say a lot of times that Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. But we often don't stop to think about the impact or the results of that or uh, how those things all work together. You see, Jesus' sinlessness actually goes back to his virgin birth. Romans 5.12 helps us to understand this. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death spread to all people because all sinned. And so we have the sin problem, right? That sin is, is rampant. It's spread to all people because of its entrance into the world in the Garden of Eden. And so Jesus' virgin birth is necessary to make him sinless from the beginning. The Holy Spirit coming upon Mary to, to give him a perfect start. But then 1 John 3.5 continues the story. 1 John 3.5 says this, You know that he was revealed, speaking of Christ, so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. This became his purpose in coming in the first place, to live the sinless life so that he might pay for our sins. But then finally, we see how this comes to a head in 1 Peter 2, 22-24. It reminds us, he, Christ, did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. Major props for sure for the second part of that, right? Like sinless, great, but no deceit in your mouth. That's amazing. He even controlled his tongue. 
When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. No one can hold on to anything forever, but Jesus will forever hold on to his sinlessness. He had a perfect start. He's endured the most difficult death, and he will continue on in sinlessness forever. But what does that tell us about how he holds on to his saints? He says we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are. Isaiah 53.3 supports this idea, and, and it helps us to realize, man, it's really easy, even reading that, to think, yeah, but Jesus, you're not going through exactly what I'm going through. Isaiah 53 says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. He's seen it all. He's felt it all. He's gone through it all and yet remains without sin. And it's because of that that Jesus can love you in a way that no one else can. When you want that perfect kind of love from your spouse or you want that perfect kind of love from your parents or from your children or from your best friend and they fail you in different ways at different times and different seasons, that failure should remind you that Jesus can love you in ways that no one else can because he's endured all kinds of temptations, not valued and despised and rejected by men. But it's also important to remember that this is why Jesus can love others in a way that you never can. No matter how much you serve someone, no matter how generous you are, no matter how much you give them or love them, you can never love them like Jesus can. Jesus will forever hold on to his sinlessness and his saints. And it was Jesus' unwillingness to let go of these two things that caused his arms to be stretched out beyond comfort on a tree, ropes to be tied around his arms to hold them in place. And yet, as they were doing that, he didn't let go of his sinlessness, and he didn't let go of the saints of his church. Spikes were driven deep into his wrists, crushing arteries and veins, blood being lost, strength zapped from his hands, writhing in pain. He refused to let go of his sinlessness and his saints. And in this, we saw God's promise in Deuteronomy fulfilled and reiterated to us. In Deuteronomy 31.6, we read, Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them, for the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. That's good news. That Jesus loves you. He will never leave you or abandon you or forsake you. He will hold on to you forever if you will simply trust that he is the Son of God, sinless and your Savior. You think, okay, well, if he's holding on to, to his sinlessness, and that makes a way for me, even me, to be a saint, and then he's holding on to his saints, well, then, then that might just give me the strength to do what Scripture told me to do in the first place, and that's to hold fast to my confession. 
I might be able to do it, not because of my own strength, but because of the strength of Christ who is holding all of these things together. So how do we hold on to who Jesus is? There's two questions that we have to answer to be able to do that. The first is, who is he? And the second is, how do I hold on? First, who is he? What is it that we confess to be true about Jesus? I'm going to do something that may make some of you uncomfortable, um, but I'm excited to do it because I'm a little bit nerdy about these kinds of things, and I like people getting uncomfortable. So here at Christ Community, our belief statement that, that, that helps us define what we confess to be true about Jesus is called the Baptist Faith and Message. And there's a whole section uh, about who Jesus, the Son of God, is. It's a really good statement. And so I'm going to ask here in just a moment, if we would, uh, you don't have to stand up or anything, but I'm, we're just going to read it together. If you don't want to do it, that's okay. Um, but if you're a believer, I would encourage you to. And we're going to talk even more about how to interact with this. All right? So I've given you enough sweat time and lead time to like get anxious about this. And uh, this is the statement, and then we're going to talk about where it comes from in Scripture and what we can do with this. All right? If there's words you don't know, it's okay. This is why we're doing this. Here we go. Christ is the eternal Son of God. In his incarnation as Jesus Christ, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus perfectly revealed and did the will of God, taking upon himself human nature with its demands and necessities and identifying himself completely with mankind, yet without sin. He honored the divine law by his personal obedience, and in his substitutionary death on the cross, he made provision for the redemption of men from sin. There's another slide. He was raised from the dead with a glorified body and appeared to his disciples as the person who was with them before his crucifixion. He ascended into heaven and is now exalted at the right hand of God, where he is the one mediator, fully God, fully man, in whose person is affected the reconciliation between God and man. He will return in power and glory to judge the world and to consummate his redemptive mission. He now dwells in all believers as the living and ever-present Lord. That is our confession of who Christ is. You think, whoa, I just thought he was like the son of God or a really cool guy or a prophet or a really good person. See, there's so much to this, this Jesus who can love us in ways that we have never known, who will never leave us or forsake us, who will never let go. So how do I hold on to this? Not this statement, but this person. How do I hold on? I want to encourage you, if you're here with us live or if you're online, to text uh, at confessjc to 81010. And you're going to get a worksheet sent to you that has that statement and a couple of other things that I'm going to talk through here in just a minute that uh, hopefully gives you some practical ways to do that. And, and then I'm going to be done. Uh, after I tell you why it's important that we do this, okay? So uh, you might take this statement that we just read, and if you're in a community group or you have a group of believers that you're in discipleship or accountability with, um, 
this statement that, is, that we read is supported by 72 plus passages. And there's a list of them on this worksheet. And so you might take those passages and um, you might just read through those passages together. Um, you, might, uh, you might make a commitment to say, I'm going to take that statement and I'm just going to read through that statement every day. And each day I'm going to write down one thing that I feel like the Lord is revealing to me about who Jesus is. Uh, you, might, uh, you might take that and read it once a week. And in doing that, you might say, what's one thing that I don't understand that I want to know more about? And how can I go and learn about this? Um, here's another option. We see this same type of confession every time we baptize someone. When we baptize somebody, we have them repeat what we call the great confession. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I trust him as my Lord and my Savior. Uh, you might just commit that to memory. You might commit that to memory and then begin to think about what each word and phrase means together. And then last but not least, how do we, how do we begin to hold on to this confession? You know, it's something that's really interesting. This isn't like an academic exercise where we just see how much we can know or learn. But the idea of confessing something, right, it means that it's, it's spoken. It's, it's said out loud. And so oftentimes the greatest way to hold on to Jesus is to just confess to others what you believe about him, to share him with the people in your life, to share him with your neighbor that doesn't know, to share him with the person that you run into at the grocery store every week, to share him with, with someone that is always commenting on your social media posts. You see, oftentimes the greatest way to hold on to Jesus is to confess what you believe to be true about him out loud with words to a real human being. Okay, I get it. I understand why the author challenged me to hold fast. I understand that I can't do it by myself. I know that I need Jesus, and he's the one who's really holding all things together. He's going to help me do this. And, man, I think we're getting somewhere. But just when we begin to think that with the help of Jesus and the church, we might be able to do this, maybe we can hold on. We read verse 16. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Approach with boldness? Really? Like, it wasn't enough to, like, like, jab us and say, hold fast when you know we can't? Like, you want us to do this boldly? Boldly approaching God's throne of grace? Like, I can't even picture that in my mind. How do we, how do we walk into God's throne room boldly? Like, what's up, God? It's good to see you today. Like, how do we do that? What kind of bravado are you supposed to enter God's throne room with? This word boldness, it carries some, some meaning, some, some picture to it. And it seems to be conveying this idea that, that boldness comes from having nothing to hide. It's, it's mixed with this line of thinking that to be bold means to, to be all in, to be all there. And so this, this picture of boldness that's, that's painted here isn't one of bravado and blind courage. It's a picture of being exactly who you are in front of the only one who can give you real grace and mercy to make it through the day. That's real boldness. 
to be all there, to be all in, in front of the only one, the great high priest who can make you right in front of the creator of the universe. One commentator said it this way, receiving grace has to do with being understood, accepted, regarded, favored, and supported by God. Grace is a means of life and strength, a support, a source of support and balance and self-certainty. Each of my kids uh, have grown up in homes where they, we have stairs. And very early on, right, you, you want them to know that the stairs are something to be feared a little bit. Like, like you can get hurt here. And so, you know, our kids, for the most part, have had some caution. Obviously, Magnolia is the most recent to, to go through this process. And it's really interesting to me. Maybe you, if you think back, you would notice this about your kids too, right? Um, if you kind of peek around the corner while they're approaching the stairs, uh, at least for our kids, they, they are always really careful to grab the handrail when nobody else is around. Like, that's what they've been taught. Like, either sit on your bottom or grab the handrail. Like, be careful. But there's this really interesting thing when, uh, when I'm going down the stairs with Magnolia and I'm holding her hand. It's like, number one, I don't need the handrail. And number two, we're going a thousand miles an hour. Like, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, whoa, whoa. And I'm like, why is that? Why is that? It's because she doesn't have as much confidence in her own ability to hold on. But when I'm holding her, she has all the confidence in the world. Exactly. <laughs> See, it's not confidence in our ability to hold on to Jesus' church. It's the confidence of being held onto by the great high priest. Jesus' sinlessness enables your steadiness. This is the why. This is why it's important. When we feel tossed and turned, we need the steadiness of Christ's sinlessness, and this changes everything. When we know and hold fast to our confession about who Christ is, we no longer approach our days with fear or anger or anxiety or weariness or busyness or uncertainty because we know that Jesus is holding on to us. He is stabilizing us. He will not let us fall. And instead, we approach our days with this bold confidence that his mercy is new every day and that his grace will support us and balance us and make us certain of ourselves and will show up when we need it. And with that, we approach our days with a full head of steam, able not to just tolerate relationships, but see them as opportunities to, to love like Jesus would, to love our spouse ferociously, to love our kids tenaciously, and to, to love our neighbors without resentment or envy. And that happens not by increasing our emotional IQ or understanding ourselves better, but by being overly generous, uh, by, by being all there, having nothing to hide in front of the throne of grace. We approach these days. We approach these days with Jesus. And that gives us a fear of, of, uh, of him alone. We no longer have a fear of not knowing or a fear of being rejected, but rather we have this confidence that we have received mercy and grace and that will take the lead. This is what we find to be true when we understand the good news that Jesus will forever 
forever hold on to his sinlessness and his saints. That we can begin to walk in confidence, not in ourselves, but in him. Today the band is going to come back up and and play and, and lead us in worship as we're reminded that he's mighty to save us. And as he saves us, he leads us and gives us that grace each day to to continue to approach his throne of grace. This morning, whether you're listening online or you're here with us, if you don't have that relationship with Christ, or maybe, as we talked earlier, you you feel like you've let go of Christ because you're unsure, you're uncertain about who he is, and you're not sure if you really do know him, uh, I want to encourage you to text at New Life CCC to 81010. If you're here with us, I'm going to be in the back, and I'd love to just have a real conversation with you. Uh, But we want to introduce you not to a great plan or a way to serve or a cool church. We want to introduce you to the great high priest whose sinlessness will steady the storms in your life, whose grace will make you whole again. If you need to make that decision, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Respond. Let me pray for us today as we continue in worship. Jesus, thank you for being our great high priest. As we continue uh, in the next few weeks, man, we pray that you would just continue to breathe life into those words that honestly don't make a ton of sense in our culture. We pray that you would help us to understand more and more about who you are uh, so that we can hold tighter and tighter to those truths that give us life. Jesus, I pray that you would use the spirit that you sent to to dwell and live in us. I pray that you would use that spirit in this place and and to whoever's listening to draw people to yourself, to give them confidence, not in themselves, but in you. Bring them to a place of repentance, Lord, where they say, I don't want to live the way that I've been living. I am dead in my sin, and I need a Savior. Spirit, Lead us as we sing, as we pray, as we respond, and as we journey together. In Jesus' name.